0: I can't say it enough. In the realm of U.S. politics, I am not a Democrat, and I am certainly not a Republican. I vote on platforms and issues that are important to me, what is in the best interest of black people. And I vote because my ancestors bled, fought, and died for our right to vote in this country. Despite voter intimidation and massive suppression efforts, during a global pandemic, no less. I will be voting in this election. But I'm not a politico of any kind at all. I've heard other black women say this as well. It's not about being politically disengaged. It's about understanding that the world of modern politics simply does not resonate with my personality. And with that being said, We can't bury our heads in the sand while careerist necropoliticians, who absolutely do not have our interests at heart, endeavor to shape every aspect of our lives. What I do know is that you have to create the future that you want to live in. This is Dr. Catherine Bancoli-Medina with The Invention of Racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism from the past into the 21st century. Understanding and speaking the truth about racism is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. In this bonus episode, right-wing extremism, another term for white supremacists, I comment on a malicious plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. The FBI just handed down federal indictments for 13 people in two militia groups involved in a plot to kidnap the Democratic governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Now there is a backstory to this. In the effort to address the coronavirus pandemic, Whitmer's administration like governors in other states, issued stay-at-home orders in March based on recommendations from science and medical authorities. And this caused widespread protests against the, against the Michigan governor. Now keep in mind that Michigan had among the highest rates of COVID-19 infections and deaths. In the state of Michigan, black people make up only 15 percent of the population. However, they comprised nearly 30 percent of COVID-19 cases and over 40 percent of COVID-19 related deaths. This public health disparity is consistent for black and brown people across this country. Under Michigan's pandemic plan, The governor issued a number of executive orders addressing the containment of the virus and other related issues, including closing and curtailing bars and other business establishments. The reaction against this virus mitigation effort was tremendous, angry and hostile, though a better word might be unhinged. Governor Whitmer, no doubt, has been under increased security protection for months. Now remember in April, culminating in a series of anti-lockdown demonstrations through May, armed protesters stormed the Michigan State Capitol on April 30th. They were already enjoying support from the occupant, who tweeted on April 17th, Liberate Michigan. When they stormed the Capitol, they represented the oddest hodgepodge of protesters intent on reopening the bars, gyms, beauty salons, and other businesses in the state. These largely white protesters, many heavily armed, were masked and unmasked and observed no social distancing guidelines inside of the crowded state capitol building. Some of them displayed racist paraphernalia like swastikas, confederate flags, nooses, and MAGA hats. These rallies at the state capitol most certainly presaged violence and they were racist and misogynist. Some of the armed protesters were intent on intimidating others especially counter protesters. They were legally allowed to carry weapons inside the state capitol and to be aggressive with anyone, including government workers and law enforcement officers. Many believe that anti-lockdown protesters were not just homegrown from Michigan, but that they were supported from behind the scenes and joined by militia from other states. The Michigan State Capitol, filled with hundreds of protesters, and the level of armament among these protesters was so unsettling that state capital workers, including representatives, complained about having to wear bulletproof vests to work. Democratic lawmakers, like Michigan Senator Sylvia Santana, wore a bulletproof vest as she sat at her desk. She and her colleagues, like Kira Harris Bolden, have called for the banning of guns from the state capitol. And state representative Sarah Anthony, another black woman, was escorted to the Michigan state capitol with armed black people because, as she noted, the police didn't provide legislators with any security detail. It's something that they they don't do for legislators. Now this is just a bit of the background uh, but it's important because of the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Whitmer gives us insight into the thought and operations of white supremacists. To be clear this plot as far as we know has nothing directly to do with black people as far as we know. At the very least it was a white on white offensive plot to kidnap and execute a white female politician. However, after having read the initial filing document outlining the plot, the continuation of a continued uh, criminal complaint, which was released on October 8th to the public, this conspiracy was in alignment with what we understand about white domestic terrorists. We have to keep in mind that militia groups represent an array of supremacist perspectives. They are often pro-occupant but at the same time are fervently anti-government. They are consistently heavily armed militants who operate in a paramilitary fashion and are deeply concerned about perceived violations and threats to the Second Amendment. The right of the people to keep and bear arms. They are often anti-police but welcome the police and military veterans into their ranks if they feel that it is safe to do so. They intermix with other hate groups but have learned to operate as lone wolves and in single cells. Militia-based supremacy groups are sometimes hard to distinguish though they hold very similar ideological views that uphold notions of racial and gender supremacy. If we can understand this case as it unfolds, we can appreciate something of how militia-based supremacy groups organize their attack. The militia that plotted the the kidnapping of Michigan Governor Whitmer were engaged in a very serious plot. They were particularly upset about COVID restrictions and what they believed to be an abuse of political power on her part, asserting that she was acting outside of her authority to close businesses in order to contain a deadly pandemic. They felt that the country had been taken from them and that it was their mission to take it back. And that's, that's a, a widespread belief among white supremacists. They uh, were involved in a planned kidnapping and the militia wanted to take hostages, but they were not adverse to killing her if they had to. They used social media to meet and to communicate, and they use technology to advance their plans. This included uh, them participating in online chat groups, text messaging each other, and also GPS. They were potentially part of a planned effort to violently overthrow state governments, or they at least intimated this desire. So, as this unfolds we're going to be seeing uh, them talk about a coordinated effort um, to take over state governments not just the Michigan state government. Okay, they were infiltrated uh, by FBI confidential human sources and undercover employees. These people collected audio, video, text messages and social media content. And they they had some level of organization they had leadership a chain of command they met regularly and as needed to discuss and clarify their plans they also recruited and networked and they they may have had issues with other white supremacist groups but they didn't spend time uh, fighting over their differences And they had no fear of law enforcement. They thought of ways they could circumvent or slow down the police by blowing up a bridge leading to uh, one of the governor's properties. And they had their own extra legal judicial code where they would act as police, judge, jury, and executioner. They wanted to put Whitmer on trial before the November 3rd election. They met in secret, in a hidden place, literally a basement with a trap door covered by a rug. They confiscated their phones when they felt they needed to, and they also used coded language. What I found interesting Um, and we're well aware of is the um, the number of times that they cited the fact that the militia group trained uh, so frequently with their firearms and in perfecting tactical maneuvers. They also understood how to create IEDs or improvised explosive devices and they practiced bomb construction. They raised funds to purchase the equipment that they needed, namely weapons, and uh, high voltage stun guns. They conducted meticulous surveillance of the governor's properties. They were looking for any entree uh, to her person so that they could grab her. And, And I can't stress this enough this militia group, they weren't interested in a show of force, very much like the show of force we saw at the Michigan State Capitol in the spring. No, they weren't interested in a show of force. They were interested in the use of force. As I've said, we need to understand this case so that we can grasp how militia-based white supremacy groups organize their racist initiatives, especially those involving people they consider their adversaries, black people and black organizations namely. Historically, blacks have been targeted by these groups for their civil rights activism, including the efforts to secure voting rights, for uh, fighting discrimination in employment, and for advocating school desegregation. There is a very long history of white extremist groups victimizing black people through the NAACP, for example. In 1951, Harry Tyson Moore, who founded the first NAACP branch in Brevard County, Florida, was killed, along with his wife, on Christmas Eve. It was believed that the Klan exploded the bomb that killed them. Mississippi NAACP Field Secretary Medgar Evers, he was killed in 1963 by a white supremacist group. And in 1965, when George Metcalf, president of the Natchez, Mississippi chapter of the NAACP, attempted to integrate the cafeteria at the Armstrong Rubber Company, a bomb was planted in his car and exploded and the bomb injured him. But later Warless Jackson Jr. who was the treasurer of that same Natchez NAACP was killed in a similar bombing that took place in 1967. Jackson had received a promotion. He had just got it at the Armstrong Rubber Company. right-wing extremists is another term for white supremacists and they have been operating in plain sight since the founding of the nation these people have been speaking their hate waging war and causing mayhem for so long that there have been countless spoiled attempts an incredible number of unreported and underreported efforts to bomb and kill people. The government has always known that they pose one of the greatest domestic threats to national security. They have been collecting data on their activities for years. There are uh, especially especially uh, uh, in the rise uh, in recruitment after the election of President Obama and the psychological manipulation they employ, and how these groups exploit the political and economic landscape, recessions, depressions, to frame themselves as perfect victims. However, the administration has created fictional domestic groups of concern in the failed effort to manufacture and demonize black identity extremists, which is a reference to Black Lives Matter Matters organizations. And actually, it references any black organization for social justice. And they've also constructed this false narrative about Antifa, which is a reference to anti-fascism. So I have to tell you, the unused notes for this brief podcast, uh, among our bonus podcasts, the notes are exhaustive, and I, I couldn't include everything. Not right now. Um, this is, you know, this is not an episode that uh, that we intended to do. Honestly, we would have to do ten one-hour podcast just to begin to introduce the history of domestic white supremacist terrorism. And those who know me know I am not given to hyperbole. Perhaps we will. But in any case, I think the plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer needs to be watched and studied very closely. And here are five final points I'd like to make. First, protester and militia use of confederate flags, Nazi symbols and nooses signifying lynching are emblems of their philosophical hatred of black people. And the Nazi images, of course, harken back to Hitler's Germany, his final solution and anti-Semitism. Second, when Black and Brown people were finally being identified nationally as disproportionately impacted by the coronavirus, white supremacist, white supremacist beliefs encourage the idea that white people are immune to COVID-19, and we have witnessed an incredible amount of evidence that would support this theory. That is certainly not true. Third. These militia groups used COVID-19 restrictions as a pretext to advance their goals, which predated the pandemic and includes destabilizing state governments and initiating a civil war. Fourth, white supremacy allows these militia groups who are direct domestic threats to national security to thrive and develop while at the same time enables police and vigilantes the license to kill black citizens with little or no legal consequences. Finally, white supremacist extremist groups are not interested in demonstrative displays of militaristic aggression. They don't, they're not, interested in calling attention to themselves and they're not merely um, they're not interested in merely instilling public fear they are as they have been instructed by the head of state standing by these groups are action-oriented in the plot to kidnap the michigan governor they were attempting to get the job done Thank you for listening to this podcast. Support for independent podcasts like The Invention of Racism is critical at this moment. In the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality, we need as many thoughtful and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti-racism podcast, continue to download and support us. I also encourage you, everyone, to use your media platform to honestly analyze, examine, and put an end to racism. If you are listening to this podcast series right now, then you know discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. I hope that you will continue to join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism.